Aloha, Shervin here, and welcome to the waking hour. This is our moment in time to wake the fake up from the illusions that are holding us back from living in our full power. As Alvin Toffler said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot unlearn the many lies that they have been conditioned to believe and seek out the hidden knowledge that they have been conditioned to reject. I invite you all on a journey of self-exploration where together we unlock the keys to living the best life ever. All right, all right, all right. What a beautiful day to be alive. What a beautiful day to be in your awareness, to be in your breath, to be in full honoring. Today on Wake the Fake Up, I have someone very special and I really, you know, strongly believe the universe brought us into each other's scope for good reason. Um, this beautiful woman inside and out offers so much information and a lot of it is cerebral, but I would say the majority of it comes from her heart. And we were, um, we had a, an incredible conversation uh, a few months back. She just happened to be randomly, uh, whatever random means, became a symbiotic client. So her soul was um, moving her around to find the best nutrition on earth and the best supplements on earth. And then when I saw who she was, someone from the Symbiotica team forward her information, I was like, wow, that's someone that's speaking my language and someone I'd love to learn from. So without further ado, we have Dr. Tia Kansada on Wake the Fake Up. Tia, Hello. how are you? It's good to see you. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's my honor, Tia. And I'm just going to really give a quick background on who you are, whatever has been written about you. I know uh, a lot of it has been excluded over the last 10 years or so much more, but let me just hype you up a little bit because this is real stuff and this is stuff that matters. So Tia is a award-winning entrepreneur. She is the youngest ever to receive the Royal Institute British Architects Honorary Fellowship. That's huge. She is the co-founder of Consarda Hackney, the first ISO-certified sustainable lifestyle consultancy and CEO of Replenish Earth, which is the probably the, the main thing I want to talk about, a cause and collective action to protect the global commons. She's hailed amongst the top 100 most influential leaders in tech by the Financial Times and inclusive boards. Her clients include Bloomberg, the European Commission, Forbes, Formula One, MIT, and Siemens. Aside from being the UCL Bartlett's ambassador to the Gulf region and advisor to the Economic Times of India, she's an economist and future cities thought leader. In 2010, she wrote the brief and appointed the architects foster and partners for the Saudi American Bank's multi-million dollar headquarters as the first female to judge a lead platinum building in Riyadh. Lead means leadership in energy and environmental design. And if you know me from my previous background, uh, everyone listening, um, I founded a company called Black Diamond Group, which switched over to Green Diamond Group. And we did about a billion in finance on green sustainable buildings. Um, so we're, we're kind of in each other's wheelhouse. 
Along with that, your education is just unreal. You got your PhD at the University College of London, Energy Institute on Designing Future Cities and Energy Evaluation. I mean, I can go on and on. You're a PhD, you're a doctor, you worked alongside MIT and Urban Planning Council. Your resume is insanity and it demands respect and it demands a listen. So Tia, with all that, and I know there's so much more, tell me what is going on in your reality today? Where do you stand um, in terms of living in what looks to be a life chosen dharma of giving back to the world and pushing us forward in concepts that don't destroy, but in fact, open up and create a possibility to a future that's sustainable. Thank you for that introduction, Shervin. And I have to say that I stopped um, adding anything to my bio because um, it, it kind of, um, it defeats the purpose of knowing me. And there are, you know, barriers upon barriers that are created um, just for the sheer satisfaction of someone saying that something or someone is better than in comparison to. And that's, yeah, it's not really my thing. But, you know, what's real for me today is where is my wisdom circle? Who are the people that are practicing putting their heart at the center of the work that they do, walking a path to no particular destination, but really enjoying the present moment and being in the joy of the present moment, whatever the present moment decides it's going to throw in your direction to choose the present over the past or the future. And that's exactly where I am right now. How can I be even more in honor of the gift of now? I love what you're saying. It's um, literally part of my daily meditation, my rituals and my awareness. It's what I talk about a lot with uh, my tribe and the people that are, I'm surrounded with. You are the sum of the five souls that are around you. Your sphere of influence is so telling to what you are um, achieving and what you are working through and to stay present as opposed to getting out of the past and thinking about the lofty destination point really was what brings us joy and happiness and is the most rewarding aspect to living a life of virtue and living a life of being in your dharma, your mission, something that you chose and not something that's been indoctrinated into you by fear program programming or other people's um, wants or desires. And so it's so beautiful to feel and receive your humbleness and humility um, in terms of your accomplishments, it's very refreshing um, to have that perspective. And anyone listening, um, this is real. You know, this she's she's speaking from the heart. I'm looking into her eyes right now. So if you're just listening to on um, a podcast, you're not seeing it, but I'm feeling it and I can see it. And for someone in your position, staying present um, every moment, every breath is probably the most critical aspect for you to get what you want to accomplish done, would you say, as opposed to um, drifting in and out of reality and always being uh, somewhere else. Tell me about how that's serving you and where are you going with that today? Not tomorrow, but today. That's a beautiful question. And the image that comes up to me in my mind is 
remaining in the flow or the river of flow. And on either bank of the river is either rigidity, an extreme end, or chaos, another extreme. So how might I navigate well within the actual flow of a river that takes me on a course in a direction I don't really personally care about, but how might I you know, have the knowledge and experience that isn't even mine to use, right? It's not an experience that I've learned, that I can still tap into and connect with, despite my never having read a book about a particular subject. So what I find fascinating is that we as humans have this connection with each other. The Japanese calls it beautifully Ishin Denshin, a connection from heart to heart, almost like this telepathic connection that we can have. And at the same time, we have this ability to kind of step into so much chaos that we have no idea how to come out of that chaotic, you know, what's happening right now in our moment. And so these are almost the moments that we are navigating within. We're sort of balance, like a balancing act between, you know, more chaos and, and yet a more healthy version of that would be maybe imagination, stepping into the imaginary or the meditative realms. And then to that sort of bureaucratic, rigid system that is, well, I told you that this should be this way. And now that you're not doing it this way, you can't be accepted within, you know, our game. So it is um, a navigation challenge, but the North Star is not particularly the one that you think it is. And I feel that if you were to sort of split some of the, the wisdom that we receive from China, perhaps even on this, it's that, you know, taking a thousand steps in one direction versus a thousand steps in every direction. Taking a thousand steps in one direction is putting your ladder against a, a career wall, right? That's the way that I'm going to go. But how do you know that that's the right wall to put your ladder against? And then you've got the expansive element or the argument, which is, well, take one step in every direction and you don't lead anywhere, but you're even more expanded and your awareness is even more focused. And you are the foci. You are in that place of being. And I feel that all of these ways of translating the now into architecture or economics or, you know, digital strategy or whatever, they're all ways of seeing the language of now. And yet every single language you use has a program in it. Programmed, programming the neurons. So much so that even when we look at the challenges of, of you know, who we are and the, the trauma, not just of our generation, but multiple incarnations and the trauma that we've experienced through Akashic records filled with experiences that we, you know, unlock every time we come onto this planet. I loved every part of that. That was um, everything that I resonate with. And I love how you articulate um, your perspective. So it's finding some type of balance, wouldn't you say, between the rigidity of you know, discipline and growth versus the balance of a spiritual practice that opens you up for so much more. And, you know, I, I always coin the phrase that if you follow a rational perspective on everything, you're missing the magic to what life has to offer. I believe that life 
in terms of, you know, this dimension or whatever we're in is irrational. And taking an irrational perspective, you start to see the magic unfolding around you. And like you mm -hmm. said, where if you're just so strategically set up on one thing, um, you might be missing out on so much of the growth opportunity from within. And it looks like, you know, this is something that you've practiced since day one to have the earthly achievements um, and the education and the awareness that you have today. Is this something that was brought into you at an early age through your culture? Or was it more something that you, you believe you were just born into or a combination? Yeah, it's a really, um, I'm grateful for the question, Shervin. I was born into a family, um, an Indian family. My mother was born in India, um, largely lived her life in a village. My father was born in East Africa. Uh, today, the place is uh, a slum, an informal settlement. Um, so both of my parents were, you know, they came from very, very humble beginnings. And for them, education was expensive. They couldn't afford to go to school. And whilst I was growing up as a kid in Birmingham, one amongst five children, that education that I was getting for free by virtue of being in the UK is something that they really appreciated. And because they did, I never, ever, not even when I was ill, missed a day of school. I had 100% attendance for years. And I think what came of this sort of the educational learning, learning, learning that my parents had instilled was that it's less about what you're learning and it's more about how you integrate it. What are you going to use that for? And how is that going to help you understand the world? You mentioned rational, irrational. First day of economics, university degree. Economics is the scarcity of resources. And yet this demand supply game that has been created with resources that we all have access to and co-own, because we co-own it with not just humans, but the rest of the ecosystem. And yet by putting it into a system, we've almost killed the touch points and the weave points between how that system is, is you know, presented, not just to us, but entire generations of people. And so our lack of knowledge, our lack of appreciation for, maybe we could call it natural law and how this really does work is, is actually quite shocking. You know, I could be on the telephone to yet another group that's interested in doing something on sustainability. And they're thinking of 1.0 and 2.0 ways of sustainability that we've sort of moved beyond. But because, you know, we're subject to time, at least in our minds, if we are subject to time, I don't wear a watch for the reason that I don't believe that time governs my life. And yet, if we are governed by time and the seasons and the mentalities and whatever we think are the convictions of where our brain can and cannot operate, we are restricted. And that is what I call rational. Rational is anything that can be contained in a formula, such as, you know, what is the thermodynamics of, um, you know, a, a room or an environment, or where does homeostasis uh, present and play a part in the way that we have created 19 degrees Celsius for a comfortable space? Those rational ideas, and to, I'm almost unlawfully call anything that doesn't fall into rigidity irrational is pretty unfair. I, I love what you're saying. How did we get put into this box 
was this um some type of cataclysmic uh unfolding based on the worldwide economies of today and some of the rational thinking of our leaders and a system based on delivering a psychosis or a casting a spell on a populace that we must be living in fear that we must be living in scarcity that we are in poverty conscious how how did we get here to this point where i would say a majority of the population are not even in a position to have the faculties to think outside of a rigid box where everything that has been laid out in front of them and indoctrinated in, into their system is based on only the rules of living in that box versus a unlimited reality. I think that speaks exactly to what, what you're saying. We're on the same page. How did we get here in your perspective? So there was a quote that um, has guided me since I heard it. On happened to be on an airplane when I was watching this movie. Ready Player One. And I ended up watching it twice because it was just so bloody good. And there's a quote that, that occurs, but I've sort of named it and renamed it and turned it upside down and sort of played around with it 360. And it is, imagination is limited by your reality. And then I flipped it. Reality is limited by your imagination. And so it's one of those you know, coins that just keeps on turning. And as you flick it, you just think about, wow, okay, so if my reality is effectively the space that I have programmed myself into, I've programmed it, is there a way that I can help others to also program theirs? And it's interesting because in and during this lockdown, that's effectively the indoor environment that we have designed to be in, our homes, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we comfort not only ourselves, but others. It's our family place. It's the place that we work, that we think, that we sleep, that we dream. And yet in these places, we program spaces of ill mental health. And as you would call it, ill nutritional health. How do we get this far without realizing that we all have mental health, how do we look after ours? And so, you know, if I take a step back, and I think you did mention this, we've just rolled and rolled and rolled in the field of fear. And perhaps we don't have the neurons for love. But the default is something that has been created. But is that creation in tune with what we want? Is there a divine essence, a connection point that allows us to go beyond just ourselves? And I think yoga, yoga and the practices around this are profound if they're not taken by way of a sport. I think, yes, you can you know, increase your flexibility and, and your strength-based training, whatever. But if you can look between the exercises between the breaths, between the notes, between the words. I think you get into the ether, the akash, the element that is the least seen, but the most present. I am loving and feeling every nuance and every syllable of what you're saying. 
we actually are speaking the same coding 24 seven. So for me, seeing the gaps on where generations have been lost, ultimately I come up with the word empathy and let's get into the biochemistry of that. Our neurotransmitters, our biochemicals are manufactured in the gut where most of the species are actually non-mammalian species in there. It's bacteria. All of your neurotransmitters, anandamide, serotonin, dopamine, different forms of choline are developed and manufactured in the gut, in the microbiome. What if everybody's guts are dilapidated? What if they're filled with pollutants? What if they're filled with GMOs? What if they're filled with glyphosate? Heavy metals. Heavy metals. God. Herbicides, fungicides, larvicides, insecticides, even worse things, which is diabolically destroying the body's ability to recognize itself and to make awareness of self. So all of a sudden you've done that. Then you've hit a populace with fear and mm -hmm. the whole problem reaction solution. You create a problem. There's a reaction then you're providing the solution to the problem you've created. And as you know, when you're in a state of fear, panic, scarcity, you'll take on any solution. This seems to be a pattern that's been going on with cycles over and over and over in terms of the linear time space. We know everything's not linear. So if we look at it from a biochemistry perspective, what about also our children? I come from a background of Waldorf education. That's a Dr. Rudolf Steiner um, philosophy of how do we raise children? how we don't force them in indoctrination, how we cultivate respect and honor at the most important primal ages when a child's brain is in theta wave, which is in pure observance and mastering everything that they can memorize from whatever they see and experience. And this is giving children an opportunity to exper have experiential knowledge and to have conversations and to not feel reprimanded about feeling a certain way, which is not instilling fear and creating programs. Ultimately, I think we're at a point where we're generation lost, where if you look at the last you know five, six generations, we're in 2021 on the Gregorian calendar, and you'll see that most adults aren't actually developed beings consciously. They've lost their faculties. And when you've lost your faculties, the things that you and I are talking about, the, the beautiful things that you're um, eloquently putting is the last thing on their mind. The only thing that's there for them is gratification, addictions, things to cope with, things to block those issues. And we're, and you, our, our hormones are completely displaced by everything aforementioned. So do humans even have a chance? I, I, that's something I always I, I ask myself. Is there even an opportunity for most people to have a wake up? What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, really good question. And thank you so much for the biochemical interactions from the biome to the blood brain barrier and the way that we think and how that has a huge impact on, you know, the neurotransmittance of our behavior within and without. Um, you know, the thing that scares me the most is choice. It scares the poopers out of me. And the reason why choice scares me so much is that not everyone has it. And yet sometimes I want a, an easy solution or an answer. And I just want to say, well, everyone's got the choice to do what they want, when they want, how they want. 
And yet sometimes these sanskars is what they would call it in Sanskrit, the, the translation of these scars from this life and how we've lived it and what matters most to us is not something that it, it can almost be this, this, um, this piece of ignorance on those that may have that choice. And I call out that ignorance in me. So many times I've thought, well, surely you can change that. Surely you can try and do something to, like, come on. And there's a little bit of sarcasm co- that comes out. And then there's the egotistical self comes out to, to show its, you know, nasty teeth. I think there's, there's a big piece here of the bioelectric energy that we're surrounded with and by. We are forever in the thinking game. So much so that even with all of the work that we may have done along this path of self-awareness, it doesn't really matter. Because you can never, ever stop a trigger from occurring. It doesn't matter how much work you may have done that that trigger can be, you know, buried or reduced in size or hypno, you know, hypno, uh, hyp, hypnotherapy, therapeutically, hypnotherapeutically reduced in its capacity to have that power over you. And yet you just need one little trigger and there you are back at square one again. And so that circle of work Reminds me of the Rumi quote of beyond, you know, good and bad or or the judgments. There is a field and I'll meet you there. And there is this neutrality is what I used to think that it was. Maybe it's because we just need to be neutral, not good, not bad, and not judgmental. You know, maybe there is this place behind that, that there is a, a totality perhaps that we can check into kind of like a hotel and decide that that's where we're going to stay. And there are many things that we can decide that we can do, where we live, who we live with, who's in our relationship. And yet, sometimes it feels as if that just comes crashing down. And maybe it is not about choosing one color of the rainbow that I prefer. Maybe it's not about being in joy all the time. Maybe it's not choosing one thing over another because all things are represented and all things are welcome. Maybe I have to sit in my pain and in my joy at the same time. Maybe that's the challenge. And instead of saying and negating and saying, well, I don't want pain and I don't want anger and I don't want all of these things, I prefer that preference may not be something that the present wants you to feel because the feelings otherwise wouldn't be there. You are chemically wired. We have a drugstore in the body, right? This is, uh, this is, I mean, this is really, this is my ethos. I mean, this is where um, I literally feel into when I think of the populace and how I look at health and how I look at balance and wellness. You know, it comes down to the non-dualistic perspective and releasing this guilt of having to suppress everything. And if you look at all the you know, the, the new age spirituality and old school, sitting in the pain, sitting in the fear, sitting in the trauma is our birthright. 
of becoming human. And it's our ability in those moments to learn and to experience and to hold value and to make transcendence occur. For me, pain is the, gotcha. yeah, that's the ultimate medicine. You know, you and I have had a conversation before revolving around ceremony and sacred medicine practices and things of that nature. Why are people going into the jungles? Why are people, um, you know, entering the entheogenic space? It's to remove the mask and remove the filter. There's something called samadhi, which is the practice of dying before dying. And I personally have put myself through the nine point death meditations. I've died hundreds of maybe if not thousands of times in this body before going into those places and the growth and the opportunity that I have created for myself because of those openings. Um, I see day to day in so much more authority and so much more power in my presence and awareness. So, so, so back to the, the context. So we're always searching for something to, you know, put, put in our body or something to, um, remove us from, you know, the awareness and looking at something dead in the eyes. Um, it's almost like a trap, you know, the, and, and I think the powers that be, whatever that power is, is aware of that. They understand human psychology. They understand, um, you know, human emotions. They understand that, you know, by not addressing these core wounds, they get us addicted to a life that is not one of growth and connection, but one of lim unli um, limit limited practices and limited awareness. Would you say this goes hand in hand with the core strategies of some of the big block retail economic groups of the world right now that we f find ourselves in? And it's those um, types of businesses and corporatocracies that are actually spearheading us into a place of unfounded degradation to our mother earth and to our collective health. And I'd like to just add this, the, the whole carbon neutrality and all that stuff, global warming specifically, I'm not sure where I am with that, but what I do know is that our topsoils destroyed, our oceans are getting sicker and sicker. Um, the hydrological cycle has been completely um, dilapidated. Food is not food anymore. This is all real. What do you think? Yeah. If I were a company that has been operating for well over a hundred years in a system that suited me, and I have, whether Darwin did or didn't say this through the, you know, the capabilities intellectually, perhaps that I have maintained my position, I'm not too sure if I'd want to change that. Why would I change that? Coming back to that rigidity, right? One element of that strength is being rigid in what you believe. So I come back to Bruce Lee's words, every way has its limitation. And all of the practices, all of the religions, all of the beautiful spiritual homes of the divine that I visited, every place has got a truth. And every way has created something for a group of people at a time and a place that was appropriate for them. Exactly. At, when at, it becomes at the obsolete, time. Yes. however, yeah. when it becomes obsolete, the time that it takes 
to unravel itself and die a beautiful death is what we're not seeing enough of. So we're stuck on permanent. We're stuck on permanence. We're stuck. We're stuck on this idea that we can live forever, hmm. and that there. You know, it's 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 more like a, the fear of of death comes so early in a person's life, and they bury it so cleverly in their lives. And it could just be because every time there is a question about death, perhaps um, you know, a parent might say, "Just don't be silly. I don't want to talk about this." Um, and so what would have been a natural, beautiful question ends up being something that is completely and utterly ignored, like a tantrum. If you grab a child when they're having a natural tantrum, I'm not talking a minute about uh, if you give them the Barbie doll, they'll stop crying tantrum. But, you know, if they've got a, a natural, you know, fear that they are experiencing and they're crying, hold them. Let them know that it's going to be okay. And that the feeling that they have is legitimate. And that the death that is happening of joy is legitimate. And I think if we are just equally observant and respectful of death in the moments of living, then there is no death that we will be afraid of. It's because we've called it the other, called it at the end of something, the destination of a journey not very well lived. I I love that. I I feel into that. I've been surrounded by transition um, recently, and my perspective of transition has evolved in so many ways. Almost, I was forced to evolve with it. And um, you're right. Majority of the population, majority of people, it's so taboo, and it's such a sad story that the perspective of it has limited the capabilities of being alive and the beauty of being alive and the beauty of purpose and the beauty of intention. And I love how you correlated that with enterprises and businesses and foundations. And it reminds me of when I first got into green sustainable building, instead of just, you know, finding a spot and deciding to build a, you know, 300 unit multifamily apartment building and, you know, all the basics that go along with it, you need to devise a strategy and awareness on the life cycle of that building. And that that building at some point is going to be going through its transition stage. And that creates such a, a higher level of awareness and multitude perspective on how you develop it with intention as opposed to unconsciously just creating because of the old stale old scale economies that are forcing you to do it i i that's what immediately came up for me when you when you mentioned that would you say that's a pretty good analogy mm, the way that many of these cycles of either building or designing and creating have occurred is with without a shadow of doubt, no appreciation of the other. And I think if there were an open, flexible methodology for adapting products and services to that which we don't know, then perhaps we'd be a bit more comfortable with the unknown, a bit more, a bit more ready for what is yet to come without any knowledge of it really even appearing. And so coming back to your question previously about if they knew that this is what they were doing and they continue to do so, where should our stance be? 
and it is to decide where it is that you are investing your time, effort, and money or any other resource that you so wish to put into that bracket to further the causes and the values that you feel. And I think we have spent all of our time in the doing bit and not in the being bit. The being bit is where the feelings and the connection points and the the real, the juicy stuff exists. But because we're afraid of stepping into that being, all the doing things take our time. And perhaps with, you know, there's this, I think there's this big piece on death coming up in our conversation. And there's a death of a system that has featured for so many years. I was reading a book called Liar's Poker at bedtime. And the author talks about the way that Salomon Brothers had raised their finances and their mortgage industry. And before you know it, they had, you know, the, the, the balls of Wall Street, you know, gripped, gripped the balls of Wall Street. And in the story is a system that, like every other, had a rise and had a, had a fall. It's like the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire, three generations and it's down. You know, what is, what is this rise and fall in our lives? And I think, you know, when we're observing the other, just be respectful that we may also be on that fall one day. And the way that we interact with those that are on the rise, perhaps, will, they will always remember the interaction that we have. And despite us feeling and recognizing that they could, should, would be different, it's our opportunity and duty to show them exactly how that wisdom in us can be represented to them. I think we have a really good opportunity and chance to not only uncover what's in the broth, but recognize the consequences of that broth. And as people, despite knowing that something could be so harmful to your body, continue to plow that into a system. I mean, Rachel Carson's book, The 1960s, Silent Spring. Great book. She pioneered the concepts of these disgusting chemicals, so much so that one day in spring, nothing would wake up. We wouldn't wake up. And people laughed at her, as they do today, at many of the practices that the both of us are aware are still killing people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh... It's incredibly obtuse in terms of, you know, how we've gotten to this point. And I, I feel a revolution coming and an evolution within the souls of our collective. I believe that this COVID situation has created a great reset. You said a beautiful line. You said, we need to be more human being as opposed to more human doing. We got caught up in the cycle and the rat race of everyday matrix life. You know, the system, the system, the system. You pay your rent, pay your bills, it's nine to five, Monday through Sunday, you know, weekdays, all of this craziness. And we're stuck on a linear plane and our perspective is stuck on that linear plane. And when you're embodying that, all you see are those openings that are coming up. You're not in the present. You're not in the breath. And when you're when you're not in the present how are you going to be able to understand and go into the awareness of more knowledge and information because to me i think it's a fundamental lack 
of true education that's creating this mass worldwide amnesia. We have forgotten what we have forgotten. We don't remember where we come from or who we are. And we think that going to get a genetic mm -hmm. test that's telling us that we're 8% this, 12% that, that that's our history. That's the biggest pile of nonsense ever. We have, forgo <laughs> we have forgotten wh where we've come from. But we've forgotten what we lied about. Th that too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we, we lied about something and then yeah. we forgot that we lied about it. Now we believe, we're believing our lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're here thinking, well, what's the truth then? Right. You know, if all this time we thought that was the truth, but it's not the truth. Well, what is the truth then? And so people are are, are they're fighting with themselves, and, right? They're fighting with their inner right. with their subconscious. It's causing inner turmoil. But, but that's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if I have to take on an entire system and I don't have the support in the wisdom circle, then how am I going to believe that something is wrong? Yeah, yeah I feel mm -hmm. something is wrong, but when I feel something is wrong and it's incongruent with my environment or my social environment or my intellectual environment. How do I even bring that up? You don't. You shut down and you bury yourself in a hole and then you start and getting then end addicted up having to cancer things. of the God knows what. Exactly. 100%. Holding in that stress, holding in that pain and being and feeling alone is a pathway to all forms of disease. I mean, that's pathology right. disease 101, um, especially, you know, anything that has to do with the gut and GI tract. Those are profound areas that we now know that when you hold pain and you hold fear, you bottle that in stress. stress. Um, we, we can get into the, uh, the biochemistry the of that later. Right. Yeah. The programming, the fear, the feeling alone, you know, human bodies, we are designed to intermingle and to connect and to see each other in our counterparts. That's, I mean, that's the true joy. That's when all of the detox pathways open up in the body. That's when we can take breath. I always talk about this. Most people don't even understand what our breath is. Our breath is our life. It's where we exhaust all the internal fumes. It's not oxygen, carbon dioxide. It's so much more. Okay. So this is good. I like, I like the pace can that I, we're at. Can I, yeah. can, I, can I ask a question? You can. Um, Go for it. So one of my favorite moments of, uh, one of my favorite pictures of you is a picture of you with your father. And speaking of breath, it is a moment where the both of you are taking a breath together. And the both of you have your foreheads touching, your noses are touching. And you have this intimate beauty in that silence. And when I saw that picture, I just felt that. Just that. That connection. Intergenerational wisdom connected in a way that only love can share. Tell me about that. Because whenever I see that, I feel that that's it. That's what we're here for. That's what we would wish that we had. Moments like these, when we can reflect on the power of these connections, sometimes that we've never experienced. Bearing in mind, you know, I remember this, you know, completely opposite experience that I had. Um, watching at the School of Oriental and African Studies, this um, there was a documentary called From Brothel to Bride, and it was how women as young as 14 were sold to these brothels by their parents. And, you know, literally a girl 
in the brothel at the age of 18 is telling her story. And she says, um, when I was 10, I came home and, you know, my mother fed me dinner. And once I ate the food, I had a stomachache. My mother said, go and lie down on my bed. I did. And I woke up and there was blood all over the place. And then when I screamed, my mother came over to me and she said, well, I didn't carry you in my stomach for nine months for no reason. She had sold her daughter's virginity to a person and then subsequently sold her. And I feel that this connection that we have with our parental guidance, ancestral guidance, our lineage is, and is, is ready to be awoken. And when I see that picture of the both of you together, for me, that is that wisdom and ancestry awoken. Let me take a deep breath on that one. Um, talk about polarities. You know, the story that you just said about the brothel and the mother, that's obviously an extreme on one end. So extreme. And then which creates a memory, which creates a, a ripple in time, um, yeah. a frequency. And that's why, you know, the, the horrific tragedies that happen to children are so impacting and why certain predators, you know, target children because that creates dominion over those children. They possess them. They possess their souls energetically. The moment that you're speaking of, and I just want to say thank you. I, I honor you that because that just immediately brought in that day and that experience and all of those moments that I had with my father, which will never go anywhere. And I can utilize that for the rest of my life and maybe into the next one. And what I mean by that, if you're listening, is there's a magic about that experience. I can smell him. I can feel him. I can feel his toroidal energy field, which is emanating from his heart onto my body right now. And I can hear his wisdom and his complete beautiful reflection into my heart. And I take that and I implement it in everything that I do in my life. And so my father is not gone. He is here. And it's those moments and those experiences that allow me to relive them in this material world over and over and over. And so to speak to your question, that is the... That is the offering that has been given to me by the universe and by the awareness of opening my heart to being hyper present in the moments and ultimately not taking one breath for granted. So I appreciate you allowing me to have that moment right now on, on this show, show, whatever this is, this experience, this immersion, and it's... Um, super gratifying to feel into that it was literally almost pretty much a week ago that we were celebrating the two-year anniversary um on the gregorian calendar of his transition into what we what i believe to be into the bardo state and so um yeah. it's such a divine reverence that i have for my bloodline and if you're listening this is, these are tools that work for me i'm not saying that this is something that you need to practice or this is something that um, is 100% the truth. But that's 
how human life and that's how communication works. We, we take what works for us and we practice keen discernment. For me, having that type of um, interaction with people that I hold reverence for abilified and developed a faculty within me of respect, honor, and tradition, and ultimately empathy. And it was those types of conscious states that put me in a position today to be who I am and to operate with those guiding mechanisms so I can offer that same energy back to everyone I come across 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. There's something about this feeling piece, the, the empathy that is experienced that we can hold in our bodies over and over again, like you said, that when we can bring in that relationship, the emotions, and we can recall that, the same that we can do with traumas, they get triggered. But it's our opportunity to almost document these feelings inside our bodies, like a library of experiences that we can almost tap into. Um, one of the things that I've been practicing myself is this relationship with nature. How can we develop a connection? I call it almost like ecotherapy. It's a therapeutic relationship with nature. And often I like to ask this question, what was your first experience of the wild? Great question. So I'm going to ask you that question. Yeah, yeah great question. Um, most people listening to this know, that know me knows that 80% of the day I'm naked in the forest, on the ground, barefoot, connected to the earth. My life belongs in nature. The moment I'm out of nature and I'm stuck in the material world and artificial boxes, I start to lose it. I talk all the time about the benefits not only to our emotional health, but to our physical health of being directly connected to our mother and the Schumann resonance and the bioenergetic field of our earth and the pulse of our earth and that we are electrical beings before we are chemical. And so to, to rewind your question, I, I mean, multiple, but the one that rings out to me was, and I remember being three or four years young. I, I remember it. And I think I remember it because at age nine and 10, I was taught to meditate through a family member. And so I was able to recall, you know, five, six, seven years earlier. And so my nature remembrance is La Jolla Shores down in San Diego um, before it got, you know, crowded like it is now and spending time in the caves and around all the tadpoles, um, the tide pools, excuse me, where there's starfish there's octopus, there's, you know, Garibaldi fish, which are these beautiful goldfish. I remember being exposed at a very, very young age to a completely different world of marine life and what impact that had on my perspective of life and who we are as human beings in the world and ultimately understanding the feeling of what symbiosis means. And that was one of the most powerful experiences in my childhood. And it led me into a path of being an avid ocean person and surfing every day of my life since day one and, you know, living in that embodiment. There's, um, you know, that sort of symbiosis that when nature meets you moment, you know, where you can be on that discovery 
and explore what nature is. And the wild has its own, you know, has its own relationship with you. Yeah, mystery almost. It's like a myth. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a it's like you know because there are no words. Yeah, it's not like it's got this sort of um, a shiny neon uh, sign that's like flashing at you this way. There's mm-hmm. no arrow there, and so I I strongly believe that this relationship that we create with our inner beings is the relationship with the external that we then express through our work and what matters most to us and how our our values are translated into purpose and time and effort, right? Yes, absolutely. So when we are not in sync with that, it's like the dominoes start toppling. And before you know it, you're flat on the ground and most probably dead. (laughs) Yeah. You are hundred percent. The like more of the body becomes dead. Uh, absolutely, we're we are animals. We are not because we have a larger brain capacity. Um, doesn't take us away from the fact that you are a carbon-based life form. <laughs> you know, legit. Like you're made of carbon. You're also made of earthly raw materials and minerals. We remove all that, you'll wither away within a few hours, and so. We, I, I think we kind of lost that. And again, that's another part of the mission and the awareness that our interwoven connection to our mother must be at our highest priority of reaching higher levels of attainment and being able to actually live a purpose-driven life. And I'm not passing judgment or casting judgment, but this is, tr- this is the truest of the true. And today's modern science and um, our ability to understand biomarkers of the human body, which is our body's adaption to stress and our ability to cope with stressful mechanisms, are completely in, we're completely in awe of how our disconnection with our mother nature wreaks complete havoc to all of those biological systems. And if you're stripped of that from an early age, um, you're stripped of the experience of sunshine. I mean, our immune system is governed by UVA and UVB rays. What does that tell you? And and, and again, I, w- I wanted to offer this up to you and get your perspective. You know, I don't believe everything that has been, you know, forced down my throat. I'm still trying to figure out where are we? What is this? What is this dimension? Am I going to just believe the governmental agencies that tell me this is what it is? We can just plant a flag on something. I believe it's so much more. I believe that, mm. you know, our entire the system we're in is governed by an, a technology that's so embodied that this whole thing cannot be random. It couldn't be just some big bang and we're just the cosmic goo of it. No way. There's an intelligence behind this entire system. There's an intelligence to our lunar exposure and the 28-day cycle and how that reflects onto the feminine. There's an intelligence to how 3,000 genes are governed by the, the radiance of father-son. There's an intelligence of our connection to the earth and to the soil. What's your There's take? an intelligence no. that keeps my heart beating and Ab- my body functioning Absolutely. without my conscious knowledge of how to stop it or change it. 
<laughs> exactly. Your your autonomic subconscious system is taking cues part of from that something. Intelligence. Right. It's part <laughs> of that intelligence. So we're not separated from it. We're actually like in the web of it, right? And we forget that there's elements that we are maybe not seeing with the human eye, but we're in a, a, a cosmic soup, so to speak, plasma. We just call it helium and oxygen and other gases. And even then, the periodic table, we only know like a percentage of what the reality of all elements are. Absolutely. Uh, we, you know, we, we've run around with this foundational knowledge of everything yeah. as if, you know, we know it all. But the reality of what we know is so infinitesimally small. We don't know shit. Let's just we keep it real. We don't know anything. Yeah, that, we don't and know yet, nothing. And yet we sort of really go out there and behave as if we we know it all. It's yeah. like that kind of academe mentality of just because it's been rigorously tested, well, rigorous, what is rigorous, but right. just because it's replicable and with some certainty that I can say that if I do this, that will happen, that becomes an academic process and that becomes a truth. And so these truths of an academic system build up. And so they require this test. And if the test is not there because there was an assumption, then the rigor of it falls apart. We're talking now so about is, fake what science. what is rigor in feeling? <laughs> yeah. In your experience. Yeah. Yeah. What is rigor in your feeling? That's <laughs> how, do we, how do we document that? How do we measure that? How do we weigh it? Where's the scale? How do we do clinical trials and double blind studies on that? This is a, I mean, this is, this is what I like to talk about in front of a fire in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm glad we're able to do that right now for other people to experience and basically start their own conversations to themselves and then ultimately to their sphere of influence. This is charging me. I have so many ideas popping up in my head right now. It's spinning around in all different forms of directions. It's dynamic. It's explosive. Um, you know, there's pathways. There's synapses firing. Uh, this is what it's all about. It's kind of like a, it's like psilocybin or mushroom technology, interwoven and interconnected. I feel like I'm on some type of plant therapy right now. I love it. Tia, so yeah, this is this is going terrific so far. Uh, so. Are we in a, a time where science, which had a foundation, which has a beauty to it, I definitely believe in science, but I believe in the scientific method, which means that we don't have an agenda. We're going to look at the variables and we're going to produce an experiment to see an outcome. And then after we get that outcome, we'll take some measurements, we'll take some data, we'll have our hypothesis and then we'll do it again and then we'll do it again that for me is the scientific method i think what we have today is a newfound religion we went from monotheism to polytheism to now exactly. materialism scientism the new religion the dawn of that and we're in that right now where whatever we hear on mainstream news whatever we hear uh we've we've taken it through um our lack of wanting to discover what the truth is because we're caught up in our own illusions. I mean, ultimately, that's the cognitive dissonance. And so what do you suggest based on your perspective of reaching such high levels of attainment? And I know you're so humble 
in terms of your accomplishments, whatever accomplishments mean, how do we break through? How does someone who's listening to this right now who's in Rio de Janeiro or is in you know, some random place or in LA or wherever in the world listening to this, how do we get them to have the ability to feel heard, to feel like their point matters? Because I think what's happening is most people don't see the point and they mm-hmm. just want to just keep doing. And so what do we do about this? Yeah, I think um, I'll take it from the perspective of congruence. When all parts of a system are in congruence, in integrity, there is potential for the message to be understood within the resonance that it gives. So if I parts of my life are without the integrity that I wish to have, then it's almost as if it sort of negates what I'm trying to do. So on a personal level, because we always turn in before we turn out, on a personal level, it is about which areas of my life is there a lack of integrity? So an example, a silly one, um, I might tell the truth to my family but lie in work. I might tell the truth to my, my partner but I lie to my friends. A very simple one. But there is not the integrity that is across all areas of my life. And as a result of that, there is this sort of almost like the scales come in to test out whether what Tia is saying is really being heard. (laughs) That for me is like walking into a chamber and seeing all these mirrors. And when I walk in with a heavy heart and I'm really sad, what's reflected back to me is ultimately the sad face on my face. That was beautiful. That was a great opportunity to make changes in the now and to grow internally as opposed to looking at other things outside and casting judgments and trying to impose your will on other people's lives. Start looking in the mirror. And that's something that I tell a lot of people. Just stare at yourself in the mirror. Oh, and and look at your eyes. Yeah. I don't know what it is about looking at your eyes. I don't know what it is about having the chance to really say what you want to say to yourself. Yeah. But just do that without any words, looking in a mirror and looking at your own eyes. And then use that time to connect with yourself. I don't think we spend enough time doing that. Yeah, I I think we've forgotten about ourselves because most people loathe themselves truly or subconsciously. And that's why- There's so much guilt though, right? And there's so much expectation, got to look like this, got to do this, if you're not doing this, if you're not. I mean, you know, I have that and I could most likely go into any room and people will use my title, you know, as, as a means through which they can legitimate the kind of a status. But even then, that's not enough. You know, you'll still have the, the, but you haven't done this and you haven't done it. No, no, no. Um, it's less about what's happening in a circumstance to you. And it's more about how you are allowing it to happen to you. Those boundaries that you maintain that are held, it will become kind of like membranes that you protect yourself with, 
are membranes for you to maintain. They don't have to be walls. They can be beautiful ways that you can express who you are. And when you do that, that is met with the respect because you're maintaining that respect for yourself. I love where we're going with this. Um, it brings me up to the whole victim mentality. Oh, gosh, yeah. Gosh, that's a scary one, that is. It really is. And I, I have empathy for people. I have empathy for people that have gone through tragedy, that have gone through you know, tumultuous upbringings. Absolutely. But ultimately, at the core of it, if you are in a position of awareness where you have the tools or you're working on the tools, the victimhood mentality is something that you can start to shake off and allow your soul to finally breathe without the burden. And I, I get a lot of you know people seeking my guidance a lot, and some of the main things that come up is, you know, their childhood and their parents and the oppression that they were under and the amount of yeah. you know lack of uh, you know development that occurred because of that and the pain and the anger and the trauma. And for me, you know, let's talk about, let's get into mastery here because we can talk about those things and we can console people and hug them and love mm. them, which they, of course they deserve. And they, sh mm. I, I, I want to hug everyone that I can, but let's, let's beat it. Let's, let's eradicate that. And mm. how do we do that? I, I, I think a good practice is the concept that we chose our parents. Mm. We chose mm -hmm. to experience mm -hmm. those traumas. Mm-hmm. And by taking ownership of even something mm. as cho choosing your parents, you start shedding the victim mentality and start to feel into the medicine and the awareness and the opportunity to take that trauma and to transcend it. And, it, and this is all beautiful in context and I can say it in words, but it's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some practice. It's going to take some getting out of the patterns that you've created, the addictions that you are living, whether it's the way you're eating, the way that you're drinking, the way that you embody yourself, the way that you see yourself, the way that you treat other people, maybe your profession, maybe where you live, maybe the circle of friends that you have. There's so many things that if you're living in trauma, you've created patterns to cope with that. This might be that aha moment where you start taking the, you know, the road less traveled. And that's, that is, I feel if people start taking the road less traveled, then all of a sudden the, those people on the road less traveled, they start to bump into each other. And that's what hypersynchronicity is. Synchronicity is. It's not by chance that you're listening to me and Tia have this conversation today. If you're listening to this conversation, because this isn't broadcasted on CNN, this is, you took in the the authority and the discipline to listen to this conversation. So feel into these words. This is not random. What's, what's going to be your opportunity and through your discernment and through your sovereignty is what you choose to do with it. Thank you. For a big part of my life, I lived in the blaming of others. It was my parents' fault that, you know, I wasn't given the privileges of a better education or a better life or a better dress or a better Barbie doll or a better whatever. And the list just goes on. But the thing about the victim is 
that it's just so comfortable to be there. It's so great. It feels wonderful to be in this feeling of it's somebody else's issue because, because they did it, because they, you know, created that environment around me. And if we take a step back and let it go, the first thing that needs to happen is to be seen by yourself. The hypothalamus responds to being seen. It is actually a thing scientifically that when we are under stress, maybe an emotional stress, the hypothalamus sort of like, you know, is under attack and it's like, holy moly, right? What am I going to do about this? And then all of a sudden you feel the feeling and legitimate that feeling. The hypothalamus calms down. You could be in pain. You could be angry. You could be in extreme distaste of something, but you've called it out. You've seen it. You've recognized it. You've met it. You've gone to have a conversation, basically, sat down, gave, an, you know, uh, gave a cuddle to it, whatever you wanted to do. But the reality is that once you've done that, please let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Shed, shed, shed. Shed the victimhood. And that's the molting process that we're in. Because as we molt, we get to provide ourselves that agency that choice, that I'm here because of I want to be. And when you can put this story of whatever your life is and however your life has been into new words, new energy, new resonance, every moment is that new resonance. Every moment you can change the way that you think and chemically that shifts everything inside your body. Physiologically, you know, it has huge implications together with, right? In, in communion with, breaking bread with, we get to share that with each other. And so to be seen is the first step to letting go, which is the second step. And then as it's let go of, to honor that which has passed, to be more and more in the present moment. And now we've done a full cycle. I love it. Um, you know, you hit it right on the nail in terms of the hypothalamus and our ability to, you know, go into fight flight, our ability to respond to stress and to immediately switch something off that was once perceived as a threat as not. And that's the uh, amazing power and the dynamic aspects to being human. We are a multiverse within an animated body. And these are things that you know, the more you understand the functioning of the body, the more that you might have the resources and the faculties to be able to shed this stuff off and to shed layers off that aren't serving you, that are keeping you in a state of tension, which is keeping you in a state of stress, which ultimately takes you out of your unique health span and transitions you transitions you into the disease span, the dis-ease. And so, I love what this conversation. We, I mean, we're not even getting into uh, some of the some <laughs> Sorry, of the. What were we supposed to be talking yeah. about? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think on the next one because I definitely want you to be coming back as a regular guest on Wake the Fake Up because there's so much um, to be spoken of um, outside of you know the normal 
cognitive questions and the normal basics because we've just spent a little bit over an hour just diving into the human psyche and the emotional response system and how we can do things and think in ways which better serve us and ultimately serve the community. Because I think, you know, looking at your resume, looking looking at all the stuff on paper and then feeling into your soul, you're here to serve. You're you're some type of incarnated angel um, with with, <laughs> with with powerful you know as a powerful sage and in combination a warrior i feel that warrior energy from you so some kind of um diverse you know ecosystem within you that's here to serve and to create a better world whatever better means you know and and it's such an honor to have um to have found myself in you because ultimately that's what i'm seeing i'm i'm reflecting right back at you and it's the mirroring effect and if you're listening to this find your tribe you know that's the 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 most powerful um determining factor of our ability to see ourselves is find your tribe or change your tribe yeah evolve your tribe by evolving from within. yes Yes. well well said Do, do you feel that most people can change do you feel that most people can evolve? Gosh, I, I think this is at the core of the, if there were a philosophy, it is that change is this consistency and it's in allowing that consistent change that we can also be present to what is and not what was or what can be in the future. When we think about ourselves in the future and provide that sort of energy into the now, it's almost as if we're sort of stepping into parallel worlds and we're living in these multiplicities, in these parallel times, in these dimensions at the same moment. And there are incredible pieces of work and research that go into the, the, the um, you know, connection points between these parallel universes, multiverses. On the one side, you've got Robert Monroe's work with Gateway Project with the CIA that did all this research into binaural music and um, connection points with um, multi-wave frequencies that we listen to that can almost shortchange the the you know mentality that we may have and allow us to step into outer body experiences, which is what he himself had gone through. So change is fundamental and central to who we are. And yet, you know, whether it is this rigidity, coming back to that chaos versus rigidity, we want that rigid system because that is replicable, that is science. And when it's science, it becomes a belief system when I can't question it anymore. Well, that's just the way that it was. You're kind of sounding like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't ask too many questions. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't ask too many questions and just stay where you're at. It's too hard. Gosh, yeah. It's too don't difficult. Yeah, don't. My God, don't yeah. even step outside. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Fear, 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 fear. 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 Yeah, fear is uh, keeping us into where we are today, which is this unbelievable herd mentality so, that's happening. So shake it up. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Literally shake your body. Yeah. Shake up the chi inside your body. Do some body tapping. Do some you know, qigong practice, go in front of the ocean, wherever you are, on top of a mountain, if you must, in front of a city, and literally allow yourself to release that physically. 
And then once you've released it, feel into how that makes you and your body vibrate. Because we are material, meeting energy, meeting spirit. And when we're able to connect these points together, I think there's something that happens through these channels, just like that blood-brain barrier. There are these barriers that we are able to, to, to move between. And I think the more of them that we can experience the multi-sensory nature of these, this means that not only are we having the senses of the outside, but we're having the senses of the inside. And that outside sense is beyond the five that you know science talks about. There are so many different kinds of senses. And yet it's like the five fruits a day. As long as you've got your five fruits a day and eight glasses of water, you'll be healthy. Yeah, this is uh, explosive nonlinear thinking. And this is the core of the true science of epigenetics and environmental factors and emotional factors that dictate the health span and the awareness and cognitive ability of our growth and maturation as being a human. Everything that you just spoke about, multifaceted fa uh, faceted disciplinary acts of foundational breath work, foundational meditation, um, explosive training, connecting to nature, um, you know, sometimes erratic behavior where you're, you know, you become excitable. All of these things lay in the foundation of growth. And they give us an opportunity to get get outside of the Maya, right? That illusion of just this sedentary perspective of life and taking things on, rat that, on that linear change. Yeah, the, the nine to five job, which this is, is the way that it should be, could be, would be, which is stressful. Right? Wherever any of that comes in front of you, you you have all right to say no. Yep, you have the right Actually, to say no. I love that. All to right scream. and full permission to say what I feel is true. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? You're uh, honor your existence by knowing that you have the God-given right, the birthright. God-given. Yep. The birthright. Yep. Damn straight. Yeah. And you're just your, your way of thinking, you know, because you, you're not your thoughts, but ultimately your coding can dictate your lifestyle, you know, just you know, basic thoughts of every single day, the fears, the, you know, the way that you've set up your internal system are possibly navigating you through everyday operational coding. And so start looking yourself in the mirror again and start maybe, maybe get foundational with a discipline act of putting things on paper. Maybe you need to start drawing geometries of your life. You know, all of the ancients, all of the wizards, you know, from, Greek mythology to, you know, the occult magic to Hermes Trismegistus to Rudolf Steiner, I can go on and on to Carl Jung. Geometry and art was foundational for, un for understanding your purpose in life and your timeline in this short existence. There's something to that. I think we've kind of lost those tools. We've lost the tools of the ancient because we've been put under a spell of modern technology. Modern technology, for all its you know amazingness in terms of communication and information, it's removed the human spirit and the connection to the physical body of creating these things on our own with our bare hands. Um, yes. This is why farming, um, to me, is the ultimate meditation and growth for a child and for anyone, for that matter. It's the yes. action that breeds excellence. And so again, if you're it's also, yeah. it's also the non words, mm -hmm. yep. spend time in not 
not not saying, speaking, yeah. doing any of these words. Actually, the languages that we use are very contained within um, images and metaphors and nouns and doing words and not necessarily being words. And so these words that we use can actually be to our detriment. So spend time in that which is unknowable, you know, because it's not definable in a word and that's okay. Because like seeing yourself in the mirror or seeing yourself in another, it is also your opportunity to not be influenced. Time not influenced. You not influenced. Be your own influence. Being your own energy without the words of any other person. And actually sometimes do away with any sounds just to see how that feels for you. Because, you know, all of these ways, it's subliminal messages. Open a bottle, open Coca-Cola, right? I just have to say that sentence and you know which company I'm talking about. There is a huge amount of micro emotions that have been almost captured and subconsciously manipulated. And whether one says that there is a nasty company behind it or that there is a good company behind it, it doesn't matter. You need to be in your own energy. You need to be in your own spirit and you need to be in your own environment because the more time you spend inside your own space, the more you can legitimate the feelings that you have and the reason that you're here, not what other people want you to believe, not what the system expects you to be, the reason that you're here. That is, that is the purpose of your life, to find out your own answers to your own existential questions. Tia is basically, you know, laying out the philosophy of freedom. It's almost like, <laughs> You're, you've, you've taken Steiner's perspective and brought it into the modern world. So I, I salute you for that. And what you just said about words is so power filled for me. I'm feeling into it. So here, let's take a little bit of test. Everyone listening, I'll say a couple words. Just document into your internal self. How does it make you feel? So let me let me bring out a couple. Monsanto. What kind of reaction do you hear when I say Monsanto? Uh, for me it's almost as if there is a response from my body that rejects. Similar with me. What do you feel when you hear the word synergy? It's almost as if my feet are sort of like fluttering and get this kind of like lightness and dance feeling. What do you feel when you hear bioregenerative farming? Almost like my hands are coming together in hands with others, you know, like we're together in this. Do you see how powerful word magic is and the coding of words and the use of words? And I'm not even getting into the twisted rearrangement of the English vernacular, which I talk about all the time, which is why I, I, I have my own coding in my own language. I'm just talking about words that are obvious that we say all the time. Do you see what, what Tia said is so accurate? There's so much embedded information, 10 billion terabytes in just one word. And so if we're surrounding ourselves with that sickness all the time, whether it's coming from your social media, whether it's coming from the tell a vision, whether it's coming from your partner, whether it's coming from your father, mother, sister, if you're hearing it every single day, it's basically poison in the well. 
and it's Oof. and it's it's really up to your legacy and soul. Your soul is screaming to you right now to wake the fake up and to get wake on the fake with up. <laughs> Literally, wake the fake up. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. there is incredible amounts of research that was done by Emoto-san in Japan on the ability of sound and word and emotion and energy that is passed into water. And so he took samples across the entire planet and he did this study and crystallized these beautiful frozen snowflakes of water and how they responded to the energy. And uh, there's a, a YouTube video of some of the work that he did, just so incredible that something by way of a word or a sound could have that impact on water. And we are we water. Are we, we actually brought that up in a interview between me and Novak about Dr. Emoto's work and the mainstream media and the news literally went after us for that. Can you believe that? And um, they attacked me personally on everything just by discussing some of his findings with how water represents um, structure based on mm -hmm. human emotions and human verbal interactions. There's actually a, um, a study that was done, The Secret Life of Plants. If you guys don't mm. know the story on The Secret Life of Plants, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but read the book, try to find the documentary. Mm -hmm. Plants are reacting to emotions. It's, you know, it's an energetic thing. This is scientifically proven. If you start having that mindset that there is energy in everything, you might approach life a little bit differently. Tia, we have so much more to go into. I'm, we're definitely going to be doing a part two. I think this is a powerful, powerful experience for myself. Ultimately, the way that I look at these moments um, when I have conversations with like-minded souls, with souls that I recognize from you know, millions and billions of years ago, um, it's, I take it in as an experience for myself. And it's just an amazing that we have a platform where other people can experience through our communication, because anyone that's listening to us right now, you're here with us. You know, we're not we're not separated. the The separation is all an illusion, and it's a divide and conquer strategy since day one. We're not separated. My my mind, my heart, my channel is completely open, and I just want to take the time and just say I honor you, I respect you to the highest level, and I think on our next conversation, if you want to just do a little exit on replenish earth, which just transitions perfectly into this conversation. And I'd like to start the next podcast with you directly on replenish earth, because I want to be part of that. Um, Symbiotica wants to be part of that. My entire world wants to be part of that. Give us a little going away on what replenish earth is. I think it's a great transition to everything we just talked about going into that. Definitely. Replenish really began with this trigger point of being connected with the planet and harmonizing with it. What kind of a lifestyle would be most appropriate for us to live within the planetary boundaries? And so there's a lot of science around that. But how can our journey, our path of legacy, connect with what we leave on the planet, but also what we breathe into life on the planet? So Replenish is both a journey to eco-alignment, a recognition of ecotherapy, our relationship with the planet, and how we adjust our lives so that we can have a positive impact on the planet. Not None of this sort of net zero campaigning or this sustaining the status quo or this make a mess and then clean it up in a CSR department or any of the, you know, we 
have done harm to the environment, but don't worry about it. I can buy some guilt credits. <laughs> well said. Oh my God. I'm so happy you said we can harm a little bit and then we can do some guilt credits and feel better about ourselves. And that's really like the whole sustainable movement in my perspective for the most part, um, especially corporatocracy levels and or corporate levels. And um, I'm all in there with you. And think about this. If you are growing your own food and you are conscious with your decisions, you're conscious with how you regulate your lifestyle and how you give back and all those things, you're in, in essence, it's not just about helping the earth. You're really helping yourself. If you're one of those people that throws your trash out the window or has no concept of where all of your consumerism dollars is going, your soul is feeling that. Have awareness for that. And that's causing degradation in your entire bioenergetic field. And that's something I'm going to talk about more and more is our bioenergetic field. This is a reality. We have an electrical system that's run on truth. And the human body, we're, we, we've carnated here as good, good souls. We want to be good. We want to do well. And uh, the subconscious knows. And so I just want to thank you from the deepest recess of my heart, Tia. This has been an amazing conversation for myself. And I don't hope, I do have full gnosis that everyone will receive <laughs> that same type of frequency into their hearts. And I ask all, everyone, take the action, have some discipline, find the love for yourself in your heart today and honor every single breath of this beautiful waking life. And for everyone out there that's you know in the middle of this COVID situation, what a better time to hear and to feel into this love language. Tia, it's been amazing. If you have any, you know, goodbye words and beautiful coding, offer it up. Yeah. Um, there's a there's an incredible Sanskrit poem that I'd like to share as we outro. Nijatmanam Brahmarupam Dehatreya Vilakshanam. That was beautiful. That was super coding. I heard Krishna in there. Um, mm -hmm. Where do I leave people to understand what that meant? Mm, I'm happy to write that out and share it. Okay. Send it to yeah. me, send it to me, and then I'll put that out on the media platforms. Thank you, thank you. I honor you, Tia, to the fullest. Thank you for coming on Wake the Fake Up. I can't wait to do it again with you. Where can people find you? Where can they find Replenish Earth? What's the best way of learning more about you? Um, fastest way is most probably Instagram, um, just Tia Kansara or replenish.earth. Everything is pretty much there. We're slowly but surely introducing different projects onto the scene. Um, I think we spent a lot of our time doing it and now we're going to spend some time sharing it. This is, uh, this was one of, uh, the most powerful experiences of my life it was almost like we were trapped in, you know, on a mountaintop in Peru or anywhere. And that's the beauty of having these tapping into these types of, um, energies. We can remember everything because it's all stored what in it's going to be like when we meet. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, I can. 
but I can't, right? Right in the middle of it. It's such an honor to you. Same here. Chauvin. Have the best evening ever, and we'll talk Thank again you. soon. Big love. Gratitude family for tuning in today and deep reverence to you all for dedicating your time to seeking knowledge and truth. This is what it's all about. You can find more of my podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Google Podcasts. You can also find this on my website at wakethefakeup.com. Life is all about momentum. Please leave a review so I can hear your experiences and share with your friends, family, and anyone who needs to hear this message. This is a revolution of consciousness. This is just the beginning. I am all in. I'll be back next week for another epic conversation. Stay tuned, family. Big love.